Hi there, welcome to episode 46 of Paranormal Blip. Tonight we have a treat for you. A fantastic conversation with James Iandoli, engaging the phenomenon. We talk CE5, we talk consciousness, we talk UAPs, we talk about how uh, James is feeling in terms of uh, what is going to happen uh, this year. 2023 in terms of UAP and disclosure and you know anyone that follows this knows that James is absolutely incredibly well connected and he speaks from a position of authority so it was an absolute treat to welcome him to the show and also after that we've got Stephen and I talking dreams which is lovely and now we don't have news now because we're going to jump into the fantastic conversation that I had with uh, James in a moment. But I do need to tell you about a coincidence that happened yesterday. Okay, is this a coincidence? I sent it to Stephen, and he came back definitely with yes, it is. But what do you think? Right, get this. Okay, I knew that Stephen was. This was a Friday morning, walking into work. Okay. And um, I knew that Stephen had uh, seen a, a fellow at the uh, cinema the uh, the evening before, the Thursday evening, okay? He saw a kind of stage production of Othello that had been filmed for the cinema screen. You know those things. You can see those things these days, can't you? And um, And I kind of probably had in the back of my mind, oh, Stephen will tell me what it was like to see Othello. And I'm, I love Othello, by the way. Um, it's one of my favorites, you know, stuff out the light. That's a good line, isn't it? Yeah. Stuff out the light. <laughs> anyway, um, so I was walking up the road. I wasn't particularly thinking. I don't can't remember that it was like, you know, at the forefront of my mind. But it, I definitely knew that he had seen Othello the night before. I was walking up the road, I, I passed a car, and in the back of a car, um, like in the kind of shelf by the boot, you know, like the, you know, that shelf, there was a board game, and the board game was called Othello. Now, I've never seen this board game before. I never knew there was a board game called Othello. I didn't know anything about it. And I said to the person, my friend that I walk up the hill with, I said, oh, look, there's a board game called Othello. And Stephen saw Othello yesterday. And um, I can't remember what she said, but probably, probably, you know, recognized that I had said something, probably nodded, maybe, maybe a nonverbal recognition. And um, anyway, you know, nevertheless, at lunch, he did tell us about Othello, and it was a wonderful production, by all means. And uh, Stephen really enjoyed it. Who played Iago, but he's far too tall for Iago. And, um, you know, Iago is like a short man, isn't he? And Stephen, as you know, is six foot three, so he's far too tall for Iago. Anyway, so, okay, I thought, okay, well, that's fine, but that's not the coincidence, okay? The coincidence is that uh, also Friday night, last night, I was watching a show called, I think it's called Fleischman is in Trouble. Okay, it's this new uh, comedy. Yeah, it's called Fleischman is in Trouble. It's this new comedy by 
um, Jesse Eisenberg. You remember that guy? Yeah. Well, he's all grown up and he's made a television show, <laughs> which is on Disney Plus in, in Britain. And I really like it. It's really good um, and and quite funny. I mean, I don't find anything funny these days, but I find him funny or his show funny, which is quite nice. And in it, he talks about this board game called Othello. He says that he's basically plays this divorced, this newly divorced but man. And he um, says that uh, marriage is like the game of Othello. Um, and then he kind of like, you know, it's like talks about that. And I thought, hold on a minute. Othello the board game is being referenced in this new TV show. Othello the board game, I, at the beginning of the day, I didn't know it existed. But I've already seen Othello the board game earlier on. And Stephen saw Othello. So is that a coincidence? What do you think? Tweet me at uh, Paranormal Blip. Insta me at Paranormal underscore Blip underscore podcast. And if you like the show, please do send us five stars, please. Five gold stars on Apple and on Spotify. And if you really like the show and you want to give us a little boost, send us a um, comment, like write a comment, write an actual review saying, I don't know, whatever you want to say. Say like, but make it good, you know. Try to kind of entice people in with your wordplay. Go on. <laughs> There's a little mish for you, little mission. Little mish. Anyway, here's the bongs. We've got the um, guest bongs from last week. Nobody guessed those. Come on, it's not that bloody difficult. Well, it probably is incredibly difficult, actually, if you don't know. But think, should I give you a clue? No, I'm not going to give you a clue. Not this week. I might give you a clue next week. But if you know what the guest blomps are, then, um, you know, hit me up on Twitter. And then we're going straight into uh, this fantastic conversation that I had with James. And then we're going straight into Stephen. And I'll be back at the end to say, see you later. See you later. So it is a real absolute delight to invite James Yandoli, engaging the phenomenon, onto Paranormal Blip. Hello, James. Hey, how are you? I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I'm I'm really good. Um, it's, thank you so much for doing this, James. I really appreciate it. And I'm really looking forward to an interesting, uh, interesting conversation with, with you. And you are, I haven't said this actually in the conversation we just had before I start recording, but you are such a good interviewer, man. So I'm slightly like, oh my God, you know, I'm interviewing the, the Don, you know. So anyway, let's see how this goes. So first of all, James, um, I'm going to, obviously I'm going to ask you about CE5, okay? So just for my audience who may not be aware of what CE5 is, is it okay if you um, give a bit of a, you know, kind of summary of what CE5 is, please? Yeah, for sure. So CE5, it, it stands for Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. And uh, you know, what makes it a unique category within um, the Close Encounter scale that was, you know, initially created by Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Uh, close Encounters of the First Kind, Second Kind, Third Kind, Fourth Kind, and, and again, here the Fifth Kind. Um, close Encounters of the Fifth Kind 
you know, was added to the the UFO lexicon in the early 1990s by Dr. Stephen Greer. And it's it's a form of close encounter that is participatory. So you're you're it's it's um some people call it human initiated contact. Uh, one of my good friends, the Hermetic Penetrator, would kind of argue if we're if we actually initiated or we're kind of led to initiate it. So a kind of a meta control system thing. But and in either case, it's it's a it's a form of close encounter where you participate. So uh, you know, one one sense of that would be that you go through what people call the CE five protocols, and uh, which is basically a consciousness based attempt to have an interaction with UFO intelligence, and a lot of people use meditation for that and remote viewing and those kind of ideas and and practices, and you know initiate a contact with, with UFO intelligence and hopefully have an encounter in the field in real time. But uh, I think it's important for people to understand, even though Dr. Stephen Greer coined this term in the 1990s, the idea of that um, kind of practice or, or type of close encounter is actually not unique to Dr. Stephen Greer. Although in the, in the 90s, he did a great job, I think, of kind of formalizing it as a close encounter category and trying to make a, a, a structure to it and, and you know, educate people on, on this, the aspect of it and how to do it and, and so on. But actually, for, for you know, as far back as, as you go into history, there's different forms of ideas where humans are interacting with non-human intelligences, right? Whether we call them UFO intelligence or what have you, you know? Yeah. So as an example, uh, there was a group in, in South America in, in Lima, Peru in 1974 called Mission Rama. Yeah. And they were essentially doing the same exact thing. They were going out in the field doing kind of meditation and concentration practices. They, they also included things like fasting and affecting their diet. Um, and they would initiate encounters with, with, uh, you know, so-called UFOs and they had very, very great success. Some of which was recorded by local media, uh, very good footage of actual real deal UFOs and, um, you know, that, that was happening 20 years before Stephen Greer came on the scene publicly. So, you know, and if you, you go back in time, there's di all different accounts of shamanism mm. and mystery schools, uh, talking about this, this consciousness interacting interaction with the UFO phenomenon. And, you know, as an example of that, you know, Dr. Jalen Hynek had to come up with the term high strangeness, which involves this kind of consciousness link with, with the UFO phenomenon, especially during encounters where people were, were reporting downloads, telepathy, synchronicity, or where they would think something and the object that they were observing would interact based on that thought. And, you know, Dr. Jalen Hynek actually 
in, in the last book that he co-authored, Night Siege, the Hudson Valley UFO Wave, there's plenty of encounters that it's not called CE5 in the book. They don't call it such, but they, it describes encounters where people were having a sighting and they would think, wow, I wish it would come closer. And sure enough, the object starts moving closer to them. And then they think, oh, my God, wow, they start to get a little nervous and the object stops. So there's that that consciousness interaction component, which is uh, unique to the CE5 category. Yeah. And so when you talk about uh, the protocols and kind of, you know, some people use meditation. Right. Is is there also like an intention built into that? Or is there a, a, a kind of like a, an aware, um, you know, conscious uh, question or or statements? that people give out in order to, you know, kind of activate something or, yeah. Yeah. So f- the first thing about that is, and and I understand why this is done, but people often conflate CE5 in, in a general context with the CE5 protocols. And I just want to clarify that here because the CE5 protocols uh, that were designed by Dr. Stephen Greer don't make up for all of CE5. Like I mentioned before, Mission yeah. Rama had their yeah. own protocols and anybody who who seriously practiced CE5 is going to end up having their own protocol. Yeah. So, you know, there there is most definitely an intentionality for trying to invite a contact experience. And that's that's kind of the main the main part of it, that intention and you know if if you're serious about it and it's more than kind of a game for you or not that curiosity is wrong but um if if there's more than a, a, a like a mere curiosity and it's it's a meaningful event to you it's it's more likely that it's going to occur for for probably a number of reasons uh you know you're probably more likely to put more into it take it seriously be persistent because for for each individual, their process is going to be a little different, especially as they practice and kind of develop their own contact modality, as mm-hmm. we call it in a larger context. Mm-hmm. So the intention part is 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 absolutely important in in my experience. And the protocols beyond that, although there are the CE5 protocols, which Dr. Stephen Greer designed, which I, I I greatly appreciate because it's a it's almost like a foolproof method, right? It's not going to be everybody's best way to do it. But if you look at what he had um, organized and advised to do for the CE5 protocols, which um, to be specific, Dr. Stephen Greer's method was you do meditation. And the meditation itself is not not the CE5 protocols. it's 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 the primer. So you, after you're in a kind of tranquil state, which in in, in Buddhist terminology we would call shamatha, um, or samatha. Uh, once you're in that kind of state, then you begin the protocols. And and the protocol in in Dr. Stephen Greer's method is called coherent thought sequencing, and that's kind of his claim to fame with the thing. Or he also called remote viewing too you know, like an addition to remote viewing because in, in Dr. Stephen Greer's method of CE5, the coherent thought sequencing is actually a form of remote viewing. So 
you do a, a remote viewing exercise to remote view any kind of non-human intelligence or UFO intelligence that's possibly local or at, even out in deep space or another dimension or what have you. Mm -hmm. And from that point, you remote view a vector back to yourself. So you're going through a, a visually guided process, you know, whether you can remote view or not, you're still using a visualization that has intention behind it. And if you can add feeling to it, it makes it more powerful. And you're, you're basically trying to guide UFO intelligence to your physical location. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. Huh? And um, is it, I suppose the norm is that this happens in, in groups in groups of people and that there's probably a strength in numbers, just like generally speaking, um, would that be right? Or not wow, that's a great, that's a, so that's a great question. So, and, and I, from my own experience, I'm going to categorize it like this. There's people that excel in CE5 solo. So what I call solo CE5. Yeah. And I happen to be one of those individuals for a number of reasons. Um, I've, I've noticed that if you tend to be an introverted individual, you're going to excel in solo CE5. So it, you know, actually, believe it or not, most of the time people do CE5 in groups, which is a great idea for a number of reasons. Um, I think both are important components of CE5 because the better you can train yourself solo and get your work, your own system out, you know what you did, you know what's working and what's not at that point. Um, you can kind of fine tune your CE5 practice in that way um, rather than it being in a group and you don't know what the causation of the, the, or, you know, how the yeah, phenomenon yeah. reacted. And if it was based on something else, somebody else did or, yeah. or what have you. Um, and I would actually say, you know, group CE5 is actually an advanced practice. It's actually, it's, it's, it's because each person you add, you're adding another variable to the equation. Yeah. So, I don't want to say it can complicate the process, but it 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 is actually it can be more tedious in that way. You have to be aware of more things, and there's different things you have to fine tune and lock in with a group. And it's better if more, the people are on the same page. You don't want to have too many people. You don't want to have too little people at that point. I guess if you're trying to do it in a group scenario. So, um, but but it is really it is really great to do in groups because you have other witnesses and when you can do it right with a group, it's going to be extremely powerful because there is that coherence factor that um, makes the, the consciousness effect exponential. Right. So I, I think that both solo CE5 and, and group CE5 are both, um, important. And, and again, we're using the term CE5. There's another term that people have been using. It's called HICE, uh, human initiated contact events. And, and that was a, a, a term that was coined by Dr. Joseph Burks to, in, in his approach to try to more accurately describe, um, what is going on. Mm. Um, and because the CE5, you know, Dr. Joseph Burks will tell you the CE5 
category of close encounters, kind of trying to fit it into a scientific model or scale of close encounters when CE5 itself is not scientific per se. And I mean, he gives a whole great argument on that. And I, I appreciate both. I mean, back in 2009, I started the first um, CE5 social networking groups called the CE5 Initiative, which the CE5 Initiative was was founded by Dr. Stephen Greer, but I, I created the first social media groups and started connecting people around the country and the world. And uh, that, that's been a whole process. So I, I appreciate the the CE5 initiative as it is, but there are other terms, you know, people are using nowadays to describe the same thing, which is of course, CE5 heist, which is human initiated contact events and even contact modalities. And uh, I, I like to often use the term contact work. Uh, people say, Oh, it's not work. And, and I get what they're saying, but I like, I like the, and that just resonated with me. And that is something I got from uh, Dr. Joseph Burks as well. Mm-hmm. At the moment, I'm reading this book by this um, British remote viewer that you're probably aware of called Daz Smith. And Daz mm-hmm. Smith wrote of this book called Surfing the Psychic Internet, and it's absolutely brilliant. And in it, it's essentially his kind of experiences working with a small group of um, of mediums in his hometown of Bath in, in Britain. And... Um, uh, quite a lot of the kind of forming there's lots of attention paid to the forming of the group and the 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 energy and the relationships between the people in the group yeah and that that uh, closeness and the kind of intimacy of what it is that they are doing um kind of bears uh fruit or not you know um is it the same would you say in um c5 groups like is there a kind of um do you need to know the other people and do you need to know kind of where they're coming from do you need to like be on the same page not just that you're turning up to do the same thing but there's a is the 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 kind of interrelationships if you like play a part would you say absolutely i mean that's that's a very strong factor in the success of the group and you know that gets to the coherence factor and also there's there's going to be, thing, be things that that happen amongst the group that's important to the development and so openness comfort transparency are important because and this is described in the CE5 literature you know different people might be getting different bits of information and all of a sudden when they share that information it, it paints this bigger picture yeah. and whether that's a, a consciousness you know unconscious collective thing or the phenomenon is actually planting different pieces and seeing how we cooperate together uh, and trying to guide us through the process is a, is a question. I'm not sure which of those it is, or maybe even both. Um, but, you know, somebody will in the group might have a inclination to do say, we have to go here. They might have an urge or mm-hmm. a be compelled to go to a certain location or include a certain practice or whatever it is. And another member of the group has a vision or dream or remote view that correlates with something that actually occurs in real time. And all these different bits add up. And, you know, I was part of a group where 
Wow. I, 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 I haven't gone to the group in a number of years after a few of my kids were born and, and my job changed and my schedule changed, but we were together and working together for many years. And, you know, we would meet at least once a month, sometimes twice a month. And over a number of years, we developed a cohesion, a process, a kind of bonding um a level of comfort and trust and i i think that greatly contributed to the success of the group and you know i would say at at the time that was one of the strongest contact groups probably um that were active and at least publicly talking because there's there's plenty of groups like that that are on the low key that we'll never hear about mm-hmm. that are doing it pretty insane work. And uh, as Dr. Joseph Burks has, has talked about, some of them are guided to stay off the radar so they can have successful interactions and contact without interference by anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it be a, a, a government or covert group or people just looking to exploit the group for whatever reason, right? So there's there's plenty of groups that are off the grid, off the radar that we'll never hear about that are doing incredible work and having interactions. But but there are also you know some notable groups out there doing it, and as that are good examples, I can say. Yeah. Um. And and all of this reminds me of your uh, recent project, uh, Walking Among Us. And that amazing clip of um, the the British UFO um, researcher. Uh, what's his name now? You must you Timothy Good. To, that's it, Timothy Good. Yeah, yeah. And how he? Do you remember that story that he tells? Oh, of course. Yeah, I remember that story from years ago. I remember yeah. seeing that clip. And um, yeah, and I mean, again, that's that's a consciousness based uh, interaction with what we consider the the ufo phenomenon uh but he's talking about seeing an actual entity yeah uh that that i mean in that case that looks identical to us almost that look human right yeah yeah yeah. and um you know i i hate to talk about it honestly because it's it's almost a cliche but during one of my contact experiences i i saw an entity like that in a, a, a telepathic lock-on download remote view if you want to say it like that um and they were human looking and i i mean in that contact experience they clearly communicated um not just verbally it's really hard to explain how this the, this kind of download and contact and connection happens but it's a real visceral connection it's almost like a mind merge or something and uh you know these entities from what i understand you know they were related to to me that they were somehow related to us in some way and i you know i look back now on those kind of encounters and i kind of like try to take a step back and look at them and say, I don't, I don't know if that is symbolic, if it's literal. Um, but I, I've, I've grown 
agnostic over the years over such experiences uh, to the sense where I appreciate them and what they were and were trying to communicate. But I also look at the possibility of that being symbolic, metaphoric manipulation, right? I, I, I don't lean to the, in the direction that I'm being manipulated. It does not feel that way. Um, it's have it's had, as far as I can tell, a positive impact on my life. And it's been a growing and growth process for me. So I don't, I don't think it's a manipulation, but of course, you know, just to be, you know, not close myself off, you know, I have to keep in mind that, yeah, this is an advanced intelligence. And if, if they wanted to do such, it, it, I'm, I'm sure it would not be a problem for them. So I just keep myself open to that. Although that's not the direction that I lean in. Uh-huh. So I'm kind of like, agnostic but a, a little bit self-critical of, of those kind of experiences and interaction and communication yeah in terms of the like underlying truth of you know what is going on right because yeah. i can't i i mean how how could i know right yeah, of course yeah and at the time when those experiences were happening and, and i still have interactions and stuff but at the like that one per se in particular i i took that at face value at in in the moment i was like there was no question in my mind that that was actually true yeah. right and i know i i understand like a lot of experiencers they come from that point of view but i had to take a step back and say hold on a second i don't i don't know this this was my experience but i i wanted to reflect more on it and to really almost like in a Vipassana kind of way where I'm breaking it down at a sensate level and, and trying to gain insight from it. That's, you know, I don't know if, if that was actually literal or not, but at the time it, it, it felt very real as far. And like, I knew there were crafts there and whatever, and my family saw them. So that was all it physically happened. But whether the communication was accurate and my interpretation of it is a, is a different mm. story mm-hmm. because it could also be that the phenomenon is trying to communicate something and I just interpreted it really bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a possibility too. And I like to stay open to those ideas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking earlier when you were talking about, you know, group work, um, people's individual perceptions obviously have, and not just their perceptions, but their whole history and, you know, the, everything they bring to bear on any subject or anything that they do must have some kind of effect as well. Um, so this this question then of C5, and like it goes by other names as well, but essentially, um, you know, human-initiated contact, uh, it comes up in slide nine. Slide nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you give a because you're a perfectly placed, James, to give a um, just a, like a brief summary for the audience. Like, what is slide nine, and what do you think is going on there with with um that kind of roster of you know different uh, things that are on slide nine? Yeah. So slide nine was part. It, it was the it was the ninth slide 
in a, in a briefing packet yeah. that actually came um, from Christopher Mellon's website. It was accidentally leaked, if you can say, by by uh, one of my friends and colleagues uh, who we call Twitter user Jay, uh, who, I mean, had in that short time period, just did incredible work. Um, and that was a great, that was like a golden era uh, for our like small UFO Twitter group at the time. So slide nine, uh, you know, Twitter user Jay got the slides, but he, he also got the unreleased at that time, the unreleased uh, Tic Tac report um, that at the, at the time also had Alex Dietrich's name on it. And he, you know, we Twitter user Jay released it kind of as an impulse, like, holy, holy crap. I can't believe what I just found. He released it. And then we we pulled it back because it had names on there that we did not want in the public, and um, you know just to respect their privacy. But uh, there was a number of things in in that kind of briefing, and it was the the Tic Tac briefing, it was um, the the slide nine, and uh, there were some there were four photographs of like DVDs and stuff, and it was essentially a briefing packet for. I, I would guess like staffers and Senate intelligence and, and what have you. Yeah. But the slide nine is um, there are a number of slides. I forget how many there were slides there were in total, but Twitter user Jay actually wrote an article that breaks the whole thing down. He breaks down all the slides and slide nine of, of course is the highlight. It's the big thing because it has all these different implications on it saying that UFO intelligence, uh, from what we have observed, has the ability to influence uh, world leaders psychotronically, um, and it lists off things like transmedium vehicles, uh, cognitive human interface, um, and you know these 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 different terminologies where it's hard to interpret. But I, I did an interview with Lou Elizondo, and and went over so, the slide a little bit and what some of the things mean. But the cognitive human interface aspect, which is mentioned twice in the slide, is basically talking about humans consciously interacting with UFO intelligence and its observed effects. Yeah. So. And, yeah. And so that's, uh, do you think that that's, I mean, I suppose the obvious implication is that that is what is happening. And if it was happening, there's no reason to think that it isn't still happening now. Right. And I mean, so they've they've observed this, right? A tip of, had observed that. And it was that's why it was included in the briefing slide. Yeah. That was a you know, from what I understand, it was a DOD or Pentagon briefing. So that this was being communicated to to people that need to know. Yeah. And it probably is part of the change that we've seen in the United States, totally different from the UK. I was talking to Graham Randall the other week about how the UK is, you know, not going anywhere in terms of public anything to do with UAPs. Um, but in the United States over the last couple of years, you've had this extraordinary movement um, in the Senate and, um, you know, a lot of people think it's not quick enough but if you just take a step back obviously it's in absolutely incredible and you've just had the most recent 
um, you know, what's called kind of whistleblower uh, protection, um, you know, parts of this new law that was um, signed into law by Biden a couple of, like just at Christmas time. And so we are hopeful that, well, we know actually that people are talking to, to senators and people are talking to Arrow. We know that. I mean, that's kind of like in the public. But yeah. also you would hope that, um, and certainly this is something that Jay Christopher King talks about, uh, he's very hopeful that people are going to publicly speak. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you have different groups in the Department of Defense, different groups in the US government who have different priorities, different, you know, there's kind of this tension there. Yeah. This is what Ross Coulter has been talking about recently on Need to Know these tensions and maybe it's something to do with Biden setting up this, you know, uh, cross administration little working group or whatever they're calling it to try to kind of work out for, you know, kind of let's get on the president's desk. What exactly is going on here to try to, uh, you know, dissipate some of those tensions within different um, departments and within different parts of the government and within different groups within those departments as well. What are your reflections on, uh, that's quite a large question, <laughs> well, quite a yeah. long question at least, but what are your I'm, reflections on all that? So that's, that's just human nature, right? That's what humans, that's what we do. You yeah. know, we protect what we know. We have different ideas and, and we align with people who most closely, re, you know, reflect those same values and ideas. And, no, even even within people that are working towards disclosure, they all have their own agendas, right? They have their own beliefs. They have their own threshold of what they think should be released and what should be kept as national security. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's complex, and this this goes back as as far as the sub, the subject goes. Uh, you know, a good example would be to look at Loose Threads, which was written by uh, Daniel Elizondo, Omega Point, and yeah. uh, the Hermetic Penetrator. And you see these a lot of these same people that have been working towards disclosure. And if you read all the quotes that come from people that were in the advanced theoretical um, physics working group, you know, John Alexander, uh, Hal Putoff. Dr. Kit Green, Colm Kelleher, Dr. Eric Davis, Jacques Vallée, um, you know, they you, you can go back for decades and 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 read different things that they have said and they all have conflicting ideas, right? And they change their ideas. They're they're human. They don't have all the answers, but they're really high-level people with good connections in in the Department of Defense and otherwise that have been trying to figure this thing out. And even amongst them, they don't agree on everything, but they align to the extent to where they can try to make progress or try to find answers uh, to try to penetrate the, some of these programs on their own. And, you know, you take a step further and there's there's different groups that are almost working against each other in, in a way where some people are trying to get more transparency and other people are trying to shoot that down. And, you know, we, we're seeing this play out 
in the public with you know the article by uh, that New York Times journalist, mm. which was trash, um, Julian Barnes. That I mean, it was uh, an attempt to 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 be before the report even came out to dismiss it, so people before they even read it had the seed planted that it was a nothing burger mm -hmm. and it was just drones and everything. And it, you know, again, it was an attempt to sabotage and there's no question that whatever his, his source was for that is part of a group that's trying to shut the conversation down. And, you know, some of these people that are trying to shut the, the, the conversation on UAPs down they might not be in the know themselves, right? And they're just following orders and they think they're doing what's best for national security of the United States of America. So it's not all nefarious. Um, but I, I would argue that there's definitely people who are in the know who are trying to shut the conversation down. Um, and again, they... I'm sure they're they're doing it for reasons they believe is best, right? They're not just like, oh, we're we don't want everybody to know this because we want to hold it on to ourselves. That's, I mean, there might be a few people like that, but I'm sure that they're doing what they're doing because they think it's in the best interest of what, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can easily see a kind of national security. Um, perspective on this, you know, and, and how that would trump everything, you know. Um, yeah, so there's people. so just for clarity, there's a lot of layers to that conversation, and it's a nuanced conversation, and there's different moving parts. So it's it's not just a, a straight cut kind of people that are working for transparency are good, people that are trying to yeah, withhold yeah. it are bad. Yeah, absolutely, you know, yeah. the world the world is not that simple, and it never works like that. So. Yeah. You know, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, having said that, though, personally, you, how do you feel in terms of like where we're going to be, say, like in a year's time? What do you think this year is going to be like in terms of transparency? I think it's going to be a pivotal year. Pivotal? I think it's, yeah, I think it's going to be a pivotal year. Uh, you know, there's there's different people that are saying different things behind the scenes. They're seeming very confident, but this is very much an organic process and we don't know what's going to happen because anything can happen today. Anything can happen tomorrow, yeah. but that people that have been working on this are optimistic, but they're also very mission oriented. So they have to have that attitude no matter what to succeed. So they're going to have that attitude to make sure that the, the, the results are the most effective that they can be. So I can't say what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen, but there, there are a lot of people that are doing things to, to really push transparency forward and what, what is actually going to occur I'm optimistic. Okay, fantastic. So one thing that's um, interesting in all of this is your own perspective, yeah, James? What is your perspective? And uh, from the point of view of somebody that's 
you know, practices meditation, you practice yoga, I believe, um, you know, you have um, kind of like, obviously, you do the CE5, you have a kind of way of um, uh, initiating um, experiences, it seems. Um, but also, you're an outstanding researcher. And you know a lot of people that are highly involved in this. Um, so it's not only a kind of um, experiential thing. It's also a kind of intellectual, if you like, um, pursuit of yours, yes? So taking all of that on board, what do you think of the idea of Rupert Sheldrake's, which is the, there's a consciousness, um, like the universe is conscious. The sun is conscious, he said recently. And I think he published a paper about that recently. Um, let's talk about that for a moment, James. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that's kind of getting to the root of how CE5 even works, right? Um, and and meditation and, and everything. That That is not a new idea, but I really appreciate Rupert Sheldrake trying to create hypotheses and, and do science to to communicate that um mm. because and i i yeah and rupert sheldrake did did a, a ted talk that was taken down or banned or whatever yeah, that's right it's like yeah. it's the lost ted talk of yeah. rupert sheldrake and i i love what he has to say and it makes a lot of sense because i can understand it on an intuitive level kind of an experiential and antidotal level but he he really puts it in perspective in a in a framework which if you're an open-minded scientist, you could look at it and say and and make sense of it, basically. And I I think that he's onto something with the morphogenetic fields. And it, it makes a lot of sense to me. And is there a kind of um practice that uh, I mean, well, we know that there are like multiple ways of accessing the field, if you like, you know, you can right. take, you know, substances, you can, you know, meditate, um, you can change your breathing, there are multiple ways. What is the, and of course, then you've also got this other thing whereby people are, um, you know, that the, there's some disposition about them, which means that they have an ability to access uh, the field just anyway, you know, something which we don't quite know what it is about these these folk. Um, and then you've got people like oh, okay, we kind of do. We thanks to Dr. Okay, Gary Nolan and Kit Green. Tell us about that then, James. With with the caudate proteinman hyper connectivity, yeah, and tissue, which was was studied by uh, Dr. Kit Green and Gary Nolan, and they hypothesize in a preliminary study that this this connection in, in, in the basal ganglia area of the brain, um, the caudate and the pertainment where there's hyperactivity, these individuals seem to not only have heightened intuition and heightened intelligence and functioning, but these very same people also seem to be people that have interacted with the phenomenon. So that's, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to break that story back in i think 2018 2019 with dr gary nolan yeah. and um again my colleague twitter user jay wrote a, um, a partner article to that so we both dropped it on the same day 
and uh it's fascinating and and now you know i believe that the study was taken on by harvard to basically peer review but they're trying to do it from a very clinical angle so it's laying down the foundational work for that to be built upon and peer reviewed and i i can't speak for gary nolan because he's he's very articulate and and has the proper framework to communicate it. And I don't want to represent it in a way which he would not appreciate, but for the most part, the people with the, the heightened uh, connectivity and the, and the quality pertainment are people who seem to be very good at remote viewers, highly intuitive, highly intelligent, and um, have had interactions with the phenomenon. So that, could that could that be could that contribute to uh that disposition to having these kind of interactions uh possibly yeah but i don't believe that's the only deciding factor either okay and and do you think that the aperture could be opened if you like like you know ways of accessing yes field to yeah and 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 Dr. Kit Green actually uh, proposed to John Burroughs, who John Burroughs was involved in the in the Rendlesham Forest incident, yeah. And he had these kind of experiences, and he he was advised by Dr. Kit Green, like, hey, if you want to kind of increase the odds of this kind of thing occurring. Uh, you know, do vipassana and and kripalu yoga and combine them, and there's a there's a paper that's been published mm. on on those kind of practices and how they affect the brain and and stuff. So it's actually really interesting that that's there. There's some kind of foundation for that. And again, that's that's a a vipassana, the Buddhist meditation, and it's coupled with kripalu or kripalu yoga. I don't know how to. Pro properly pronounce it because i've only read it <laughs> um <laughs> so but it's uh a very interesting recommendation via kit green and i'm sure that he he gave those instructions for some reason yeah and um i'll link that paper that you talk about into the um episode notes and also sure. some um, any folk that are out there that are interested in this in particular You've got a YouTube channel where you uh, speak to, um, you know, uh, people that practice meditation and teach meditation and, and yoga. What's the name of that channel? Is it? Uh... So I, 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 that was a side project that I basically had to put down because I just because because of life basically. Yeah. But that channel and podcast was called Meta Perspective. Right. That's it. Yes. Meta Perspective. Um, yeah. And I've been trying to find a way to more integrate that with engaging the phenomenon because I, I don't want to kind of like put that on to people who are not interested in that. So I don't overly include that in engaging the phenomenon. Uh, but at the same time, I do want to to inform people and and for people who are interested to have a place to to look into that and research it and and find resources on that so uh you know again that's something where that kind of practice in my opinion if 
if you're having any types of anomalous experiences, whether it's, you know, sporadic precognition events or, you know, contact with non-human intelligence, UFO encounters, you know, out-of-body experiences, I, I find that those practices are, and, and the practices in meditation can can help you. Um, but if, if at the same time, if you haven't had those kind of experiences and you just want to jump into meditation, it could also, it could also trigger things that you weren't expecting as well. So, you know, it's good to have a disclaimer saying, Hey, you know, be mindful of what you're going to be possibly jumping into. Because if you start those practices out of the blue, it could instigate those kind of experiences that even if you thought you were ready to experience those things, once they happen, your life's changed. Um, so um, just a word uh, of advisory on that. <laughs> but again, I, if you're, if you're already having those kind of experiences, you know, you could use those kind of practices to skillfully navigate and ground yourself potentially, but it, it takes work. Yeah. One thing that I really appreciate about um, your inquiry uh, into the anonymous series of events that you're doing with uh, Jay is that you are bringing together, you know, people and you're kind of making connections between, um, you know, the kind of basically the way us uh, consumers and audiences and, uh, you know, fellow people on the on the journey here are making between these different things you know um so it's really excellent that you're uh, putting on those conferences and i know you've got a, another conference um you know coming up soon and the last two conferences you've got a youtube um channel that i've going to put in the episode notes and essentially we we now have uh, probably the vast majority of both of the conferences uh, on yeah. that channel. Yeah. And, um, but also it is a live event, isn't it? And so of course you've got the audience there in New York, lucky people that can actually go to New York, which includes virtually most of the people that work in, at least publicly have podcasts and stuff in the UK. It seems to be always over there, but not me, but everyone else. <laughs> but, um, but also though you do have the, um, the live, um, you know, kind of the live stream, which I've been participating in, and it works, you know, it works a dream, James, you know. So, um, yeah, but that thing, I mean, I, a couple of, I thought it was a while ago now, like a month ago or so, Jay Christopher King, he sent out a tweet saying, who do you think should get, be on the next one? And I wrote to him saying, get Rupert in, you know, because Sheldrake, I think, is being, I mean, you obviously have just spoken about him, but I think he's being missed slightly by the kind of UFO world, you know? And also it would be interesting from our point of view, if you like, to speak to and interrogate Shellgate, not interrogate in a, you know, <laughs> get yeah. the light bulbs out type way, but, you know, kind of interrogate his ideas, you know? Um, yeah. So, but I, I love what you're doing with, with that. And just the, the, you know, it's incredibly inspirational, James, you know, that you're you're kind of thinking, okay, how can we kind of move? How can we actually move things forward? 
So, so congratulations on that on that work, James. Um, just to wrap up here now, then, are there any kind of closing thoughts, or you know, can how can people, you know, follow your work? Oh yeah, if, I mean, if I had closing thoughts, I'd say, wow, uh, it, it's important how you interact um, in the community. Yeah. So, like, be nice to people understand where people are coming from people are at different levels sometimes people are having bad days um so i i always find that the way that we conduct ourselves in the field you know you create the environment that you would like to interact in and one that's going to be conducive to progress um so i i think that the the way that we treat others in this field especially if you're somebody interested in, in consciousness and, and, and contact with UFOs and CE5, if you, if you can't get along and get the human part, right, you know, forget about contact with anything else. You know, that's, that's just a waste of time. If you can't get the human part, right. If you can't treat others with compassion and kindness and that's not to say if somebody's being belligerent, don't stand for it right? You have to protect yourself and others at the same time. But, you know, there's, you know, I always give people a chance and again, conduct yourself in a way where, you know, it's the golden rule, right? Treat others how you'd like to be treated. And if somebody makes a comment before assuming that they're trying to be offensive with it you can always kind of open it up and give them the opportunity to instead of jumping on them automatically and and instigating the conflict give them a way out (laughs) that's what i always like to do um but um you know for for some of my work you can find engaging the phenomenon on youtube on twitter uh inquire anomalous is also on youtube and twitter and, um, you know, for people interested in what Jay's doing with the experiencer group, uh, you can go to the experiencer group website and it's a safe place for experiencers to be able to talk with each other. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's where you can find everybody's work. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you tonight. I've really enjoyed it a lot, James. Um, so thank you ever so much. For sure. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. So thank you so much, James, for joining me and having that incredible conversation. I absolutely loved it. And he's such an inspiration. You know, that work that he's doing with J. Christopher King, with the Inquire Anomalous uh, conferences, the series of conferences, you know, I find that so inspirational that the, those two guys are kind of getting on with doing something and pushing it forward and the fantastic people that they have at those conferences. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, James. And of, of course, I really look forward to um, discussing things further with you um, in future episodes. Here are the blomps. So this is a dream I had a few years ago and um, I sent it to Pete and he has read it. So I wrote it down and um, yeah, do you want to just buckle up for the ride? I'm going to buckle up. <laughs> you just mind putting on a seatbelt? Okay, good. So we're here. So this dream I've 
I've tentatively titled The Master. So the dream starts and I, um, I'm going with a friend to this tavern, right? And I'm, I'm not entirely sure where, the, where I am. I'm like, what city I'm in? I think I'm in some sort of Plymouth type city. So I, I sort of vaguely, like thinking back, I vaguely recognize the sort of the locations. So um, I describe it here. This is how I'm, I'm reading it from a script that I wrote years ago, not a script, a notepad. So I there was I go with a friend to this tavern full of various vagabonds, and I notice there's a scrabble table in the tavern, and people are drinking. It's quite it's quite rowdy, quite lively. People are all sort of in sort of weird dress, and um, I meet this group of friends. Um, like that's who Plymouth. I was going to meet. It sounds like Plymouth, doesn't it? Um, we have fun. We say we social, you know, drinking, socializing, whatever. Have a game of Scrabble, um, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know who wins. Doesn't really matter. Probably not me. I'm not very good at Scrabble. So um, we then cut to. Do your dreams have cuts like like smash cuts in them? Because mine seems to do a lot. Yeah, definitely. Is that, is that definitely, something that yours yeah. happen, that happens with you? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So we smash cut to the, to the Top Gear trio on a cliffside, on a, in, <laughs> at a cliffside town, dealing with Jeremy Clarkson's manslaughter, manslaughter lawsuit of running <laughs> someone over again. And um, spe specifically, again, it does say again in here, and they're, um, they're dodging this media circus, and all the while they're having a debate on which fast food chain has the best chicken nuggets. A very hot topic, I think you'll agree. So they, they cuts back to me in the same tavern, I go to the bar and I order sushi for my lunch, but the uh, the waitress tells me there's a Christmas menu. Okay, on the menu there's coffee and eggnog and some other things, and I, I choose the eggnog because I know it's alcoholic. And I think to myself, even the dream. Oh, I know this is alcoholic, so I'm going to have some of this. Is that is eggnog alcoholic? I never actually checked this. I don't know. I think is it this? is. We don't really have it in Britain, do we? I've never had okay. it before. I think it no, might be. Um, I think it might be. But in my in my dream in, in my dream place, I'm like, oh, that's I know that's alcoholic, and I want something alcoholic, so that's yeah. what I have. Yeah. Um. So I'm sitting on this low bar stool, and this uh, blonde waitress, who is someone I know in real life, I I couldn't actually place uh, who it was, but I know that I, I I know their face, and they do say everyone in a dream is someone that you've seen in real life, supposedly. Do they say or, that? Like a face that you've seen somewhere? Yeah. Apparently, it's a thing. Yeah. Every every face you see in a dream. Is from someone you have seen somewhere. Wow, wait, I didn't know that. Supposedly, I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've heard. I need, I need to fact check I that. that. I love that. Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like I, I think that's where you get that sense of oh, I I knew that person, or that's I think it's where you see random faces just from random people you've known throughout your life pop up. Say like, oh, it just happened to be someone that you can put put a name to. I guess I order my drink, or whatever, and I'm I clearly I said something bad. I ordered something bad because so everyone starts start staring at me with malicious intent. My friend just drags me out of the tavern. Um, this bit's not very nice, I will say that. And then we leave. We hear the waitress, unfortunately, being um, beaten by the owner of the tavern, oh which God. isn't which isn't very nice. And then I ask what I did, and I'm not sure what I did because I assume it was something to do with me. And we walk along, we walk down to the quay, and apparently I didn't. My friend says, I, technic I didn't technically do anything wrong. I have absolutely no idea what that means in hindsight. So we pass down an alley and emerge into a car park. So in the car park, I see um, a famous character, Mike Ehrmantraut from Breaking Bad, sitting in a car. <laughs> <laughs> this is great, isn't it? 
Yeah. And um, he nods at me and gestures to a different car, which another character from Breaking Bad, Saul Goodman, is sitting in. Uh-huh. And I, I get I get into the car. I think I get into the back of the car. I'm not sure. Now, we um, we go to this university by the car, by which me and my friend and a group of others, people I don't recognize, and um, an old man version of Christopher Lee. Like, you know, like like Lord uh-huh. of the Rings era, Christopher Lee. Okie dokie. You know, um, um, we, we split up. To, we're trying to find this guy imprisoned within the university. And it's it's really sort of, it's, it's late at night. Like, it's dark outside, but it's still fully lit. So, that, but it's very, but it's empty, like nearly empty. So it's like, you know, you hear like the humming of computers and the lights and the, you know, you like, you know, like the strip lights you get in like offices and those yeah. sorts of buildings, like yeah. they're flickering and all that sort of stuff. It's very, uh-huh. very atmospheric, very interesting. And um, I come across this empty computer lab and I break in and I, well, I don't break in, I just go through the door and I look through a drawer for some secret files. This kid bursts in. And when I say kid, I think he's sort of like 18-ish, like 17, 18-ish. Uh-huh. Like university, I think he's university age, but I wrote down kid. I'm not actually sure because I was a little bit older when I when I had this dream, and I um and he could burst in, and I sort of go to I go to him. So I'm not sure what he wants. And I'm sort of you know um, a bit out of it, a bit scared. And he tells me that this this man called the Master is hunting me. Oh That's ominous, isn't it? It is ominous. This man called the Master. So I. I so I run and I'm, I'm running through halls and past rooms and I get to this foyer and the door seems to lead outside. So I go through the door, it's like a double door, set of double doors. And I exit outside and it turns onto a balcony with this huge drop, like 30 feet easily drop. So not, not, not a drop that I could fall and survive. And, um, and I turn around and the master is standing in there waiting for me. And he looks like a younger version of Christopher Lee. Like, um, like uh, what was that? Like 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 a Wicker Man era. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Um, so that sort of that sort of look. Very um, ga- oh, it's great, isn't it? Very tall, very gaunt. Is he tall? Christopher he Lee is one of the tallest people actually, in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Famously, famous one of the tallest people in the world. It, it goes Andre the Giant and then Christopher Lee, as I recall. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then um, he's flanked by goons. He's flanked by goons, uh-huh. and I um I run away again, and they give chase. They they corner they corner me in a bathroom because I have to go there. I think I'm going to hide. And my friend, along with the kid and the guy we're trying to find in, I'm trying to find. They burst in and they attack the master, right? So they sort of come to my rescue. Um, the weapons they have are a crossbow and a double-barreled shotgun. And um, I, I don't re- recall any any weapons being actually used in this segment, but they do have them. Rest assured, they do have them, and they do come into play very shortly. So um, uh, the guy we're trying to find is actually injured in the fight, and the master sort of flees. And um, the guy we're trying to find is actually dressed like a king. I sort of noticed that at this point. He's dressed like a king. And um, he's been injured some way, and my friend picks him up, puts him on his, on his back, and I grab the weapons, and so we, and then we sort of attempt to escape. Uh, uh, we emerge into this room. Now, this is a bit tricky to describe. It's shaped like a zero, okay? 
Uh-huh. So a zero shape, like a rectangle. Well, I, I should have said rectangle because it's shaped like a rectangle. And um, you, the doors all emerge into this balcony around like the exterior of the room. And in the middle is this void, like this just dark black void in the middle of the room. Okay. So we, some goons uh, try to assail us. And um, the king actually gets killed oh in this gosh. engagement. So we rewind time and attempt to fight again. Oh. And this time we succeed. Very tenet, I, I like to think. Very, Very tenet. tenet. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot, there's a through line of that in my dreams, like rewinding time or trying to stop time. That happens a lot. I don't know what it means. <laughs> stop doing, he's doing the thing from tenet, but they put the, they lock their fingers together. It's very amusing. So Christopher Lee decides, um, old Christopher Lee joins us again. We move around the rooms. So we're circling, we're circling the exterior and there's sort of like, like pillars and things in the way. There's like a, there's, there's a sort of like a low wall so you can't just fall into the void and there are sort of pillars dotted around. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we move around the room and we, we try to tend to the wounds of the king. And, but then the master appears again. He strides to he he appears at one of, at one of the doors, and because I I've put down the weapons to help with the help tend the wounds, the master gets them first, um, oh, and uh, my friend is, is getting a bit irate. He's getting a bit you know hysterical. Um, old um, the master actually kills old Christopher Lee in this engagement with the crossbow. Oh, yes. I believe I believe I did write it specifically specifically the crossbow. Uh, and this is important because we now master now reloads now reloading the crossbow. I don't know where he's getting the extra bolts from, but whatever. It's a dream. Who cares? Yeah. Um, so we try to run back the way we came, and so we we getting like crossbow bolt like pew, like pings across my across my head and sort of plinks away, um, ricochets off a pillar or something. The master passes behind a pillar, and we so he he's out of our line. Of, he, we're out of line of sight, and I sort of I duck into a side exit. The rest of the group go into a different they, they still keep going and go into a different door so i'm in this hallway and it's dark and it's silent and i go up these stairs and into the university halls i see full classrooms but like no sound it's always completely silent so it's this very like the, the people in the rooms are like these like mannequins almost they're just sort of they're still you know it's like um you know they're, they're no movement at all no sound and um, it's this maze of hallways and doors and corridors. And I go back the way I came and I, into the same dark hallway and I find this blank room with a fireplace in it. The, the only light is from this fireplace and, and all the tavern patrons are actually in this room. So they're all sort of mumbling gibberish and staring blankly into space. So I, I slowly back out. because so I'm conscious of the fact that I don't want to be seen or heard because I don't want the master to find me. So I, 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 double, I double back again to the zero shape room I see my friend, the kid, the kid that um, that sort of saved, that warned me about the master earlier, and the king. They escape through a door, and um, the master is um, shooting at them. Um, and he's staring. He's standing in the same doorway we originally came from. So I turn to the right, and I go around. I'm, I'm sneaking around, trying to be spotted. I duck out of sight, and uh, I'm not sure if he actually saw me or not. Because I hear this low whistle and his footsteps, like his heavy footsteps. And I retreat into this dark hallway again, and the whistling gets louder and clearer. I come across a fire exit, which leads outside. So I'm scared the fire exit may trigger an alarm, because some of them do, mm -hmm. I think. 
and I open it, but I hear the whistling getting louder. So I, um, I open it. So I, I thought, yeah, there's, there's no point. I'm going to get discovered. I stumble outside, and um, it the whistling is from this guy who's cleaning his car, <laughs> and the exterior of the building now looks like a country club for some reason. Like it, it's you know the grass that this uh, tended to grass lawn and these long. Mm -hmm. Uh, roads that you would go up to circle around the, you know when you'd like movies a car would go mm -hmm. up to the entrance and like a valley it's yeah, like, it looked yeah, like yeah, that yeah. yeah and I ran away from the building the the song safety dance by men without hats starts playing <laughs> and, and the, the, the world begins to shake I like uh, this massive earthquake and I realize I'm in a dream the world literally melts away like candle wax and I wake up and that's the that's the entire dream Wow, I, I don't fantastic. know what to make. I don't know what to make of it. It's so nonsense. <clears throat> it's very exciting. It's, it's definitely got action in it. Action packed. It is, yeah. It's action. -packed. I don't know what the I don't know what the significance of two Christopher Lees means. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's got something. To, are you a big Christopher Lee fan? I mean, he's he's made some good movies, hasn't he? But you're not like a Lee head, are you? I'm not. I'm not. I don't think I'm a Lee head. So he's great as he's great in everything that he's in. Yeah, anyway, he's a fantastic. He's fantastic, Saruman. He is really brilliant. He's great, Dracula. Great Dracula, and the Wicker yeah. Man is one of the best horror films ever made. I think. Yeah, is it a horror? Does it count as a horror film, or is it more of a thriller? Oh no, definitely a horror. I definitely think. a horror film. Yeah, maybe I should review that. Oh, can we do a review of the of the Wicker Man? Oh, you heard it here first, folks. Can we do? Can we do that? Definitely, yeah. Because uh, I love the uh, the occult, pagan symbolism in it. I think yeah. I could have a real good. I could really analyze that. Oh, fantastic! So that's the sort of stuff I'm really, I'm really, I really love that sort of stuff. Yeah, the Wicker Man's brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd love to do a review oh, of that with these. Guys. And I, I need, <coughs> I need an excuse to rewatch it, honestly. But you know, it's funny you say about this song, "Men Without Hats," because I never knew about that song. Mm -hmm. Until just a couple of weeks ago, I heard okay. it for the first time on this other podcast that I really like. They played it. Um, this yeah. podcast is called TV Junk, which is part of the kind of film junk universe of podcasts. And film junk is my mm. favorite podcast, even. I've heard of. Have I've heard, heard of it, it, but I, have, I don't think I've ever listened to it. Yeah, well, um, mm. they, they yeah, played well, it. So, what do they say ago. about what do they say about Midnight Hats? Well, what they just played it like um, a little kind of oh, you didn't know what couple the song of seconds. No, I just heard the song. And I thought, do you remember I said that yeah. I thought it was Talking oh. Heads? Oh, yeah. I could see why you think it's Talking Heads. There's a, but, um, well, yeah. so is it, is it, because um, I know you love your coincidence. Is that a, do you count as a coincidence then? Well, then, then what happened is that you mentioned the, um, the name of the song Safety Dance and then you said Men Without Hats and then I looked it up and I realised oh my mm. god this is the this is the uh, this is the song that I heard the other day that I really liked but then another podcast oh, that I cool. listened to which I think is uh, um, this US politics podcast with um, this guy <laughs> okay. a couple of a couple of people it's called it's very good if you're interested in US politics it's called Hacks on Tap mm. Hacks on Tap, and I think that one of the people <laughs> good on Hacks on Tap, yeah, because like they're kind of like hacks, you know, like journalists. Yeah. And the idea yes. is that they're in a pub, like talking to each other, you know. Hacks is that the on setup? Tap. 
That's the setup, yeah. So, and I think one of the guys oh, from cool. Hacks on that's Tap. A, that's a neat about, little. I know. So it's really weird. Like this song has kind of like entered my world. Um, and all of that happened within the space of about five days or so. Um, with so, because, you, because historically, historically, you're very hot on coincidence. Would you consider that a coincidence? I definitely would consider that a coincidence. No because because we've had this conversation before. We brought something up, and you think, oh, that's not a coincidence. You're very three three. I, I don't I don't remember exactly of a quite a because mm. I don't think I mean. I did wonder, like, is it in the world? Like, is it like, was it on? Because I know that, um, you know, Stranger Things know. bought um, Kate Bush's song "Running Up That Hill" back, didn't 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 mm. it? And I don't you know, actually, no, it's not an unpopular song. It, 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 it hasn't been kind of been used song. like in the last couple of I don't months. Think or so. so, no. If I don't uh, think the so. audience knows that, if if you're listening, you think, ah, oh, well, the, the reason why everyone's talking about. Oh, it was in Stranger Things. It could have been. Because... In all fairness, it could have been in Stranger Things. Oh, really? I don't know. It could have been. It's in you, a, is it in the 80s? Do you watch is Stranger Things? No. No, I don't. When I, did you I have that out. dream just out of interest? Oh, this was years ago. This was years ago? Okay, well, then well, I mean, weird, Stranger Th- I mean, probably after Stranger Things started coming out, but uh, I don't recall. No, I I, I don't actually you know haven't, when I had this dream. You haven't a, seen a few years. Things, Few, okay. This is when I lived in Paynton, so that was easily uh, two years ago. Okay. <laughs> two, three years ago. When I say years ago, I mean like 30 years ago. No, I was. <laughs> That's how old yeah. I am. Oh, yeah. Right, so, um, well, thank you so much. Because I'm over 30 years stuff. old, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that dream, Stephen. I really appreciate you telling me that. And it's got a fantastic Did... name, The Master. Yeah, I just, it just made sense. So yeah. did you enjoy the game of dreams or reality? I I enjoyed it. Well, I I won that game. You won. So, and not won to point game. it out, you know, but <laughs> I yeah, I really right. like that game. Now before we wrap up, I just need to tell you about a dream that I had a couple of uh-huh. weeks ago. Now this okay. is you may remember in episode. I think I told you about this in episode twenty six, the last <laughs> time we spoke about dreams. The Jung episode. The Jung episode, exactly, yeah. And and I, like, every episode. couple of weeks, like, literally every couple of weeks, for years and years and years now, I've had this dream of, like, having problems with transport, having problems with trains. Oh, yes, 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 this dream. Yes. Yes. So this, this so I had a dream a couple of weeks ago, okay? Now, usually the dream goes mm-hmm. that I'm stuck on a train and I can't get back. I'm usually around the kind of like Bristol area and I live in South Devon. So, you know, it'd take a good while to get back on, on a train that's not working from Bristol. It's not like the other side oh, yeah. of the world, but it's a bit like inconvenient. And it's like, well, what do I do? You I, know, I remember like, when it's getting late and mm. what do I do? Do I like stick around at the train station? Like, you know, literally most do, of do the time remember... I'm sitting on a train that's not working, you know? Yeah. And I think like, you know, so it's always do you like remember this, a few years ago. Yeah. And we had those massive storms. Yeah, I do remember. During the winter at Christmas. Yeah. Do you remember those? So yeah. I had to get a train from Portsmouth back to South Devon, where we roughly where we live. And uh the bit from Bristol to where I needed to get off took about four hours because of all these train delays. Like it was it was stupid. So that, that's the sort of time that you can deal with. If a, a delayed yeah. train yeah. or train's not working, that's the sort of time delay you could get. 
Well, on on the hottest. Yes, digress. I sorry, I didn't mean. I, I shouldn't. No, I shouldn't that's have, okay. In. No, no, no. Please do butt in. On the hottest day of the year, apart from the hottest day of the year last year, was a couple of years ago, and I was in Gloucester mm. with um, visiting my brother. It was during the summer holidays, <laughs> and so it was August time, and um, we got a train back, but from Gloucester to South Devon, passing through Bristol. Okay, I think. Let's say it was just because mm -hmm. it adds to the Bristol mix. And guess what happened, right? Because the, the train was so hot, the um, mm. air conditioning broke. Melting? Yeah, and this guy was sitting oh, under no. the air conditioning in our, in our, in our <laughs> compartment and he was absolutely <laughs> soaked. Like it just like the air conditioning unit, just like, <laughs> I don't know what, like how it works, but basically loads and loads of water just poured on this poor sod. Just oh, sitting there, oh no. sitting there, like reading his phone. <laughs> at least you know? he was cool, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, I know. So anyway, so as you can see, like in real life, you know, this isn't a, this is reality. The trains mm, were an absolute is... joke, basically. You know, oh my like god, in real really life. Are. So in in my dream, they're even worse. Okay, so I had a dream a couple of weeks ago, where I was on a train, mm -hmm. and and the train was working. Like it was actually mm -hmm. going, like you'd oh expect a train to do, you know. And and oh, the conductor yeah. came around. I hope so. That's good. Uh, it, it's not. It's not good. It, that's just a bare requirement, I think. The train it's, working. It's a bare minimum, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's all you have to do is just go. Exactly. Yeah. So the conductor came around, and I said to the conductor, <coughs> "Sorry, that's like sounds a bit like a, a train." A choo yeah, choo choo. That's, that's my train impression. Thank you. So I said to the conductor, conductor. Usually, I have dreams of being on a train and going nowhere. The trains in my dream don't work. But this train <laughs> is working, conductor. Hallelujah is the main Hallelujah. And I woke up and I thought, oh, my God, I've just had a dream where I spoke to somebody in the dream about my mm. dreams. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that is pretty good, actually. I do love that. So if I, um, you li are listening and you've had the incepted, same thing. You incepted yourself, basically. I incepted myself, exactly. I did, I incepted myself, yeah. Did, did you, did you like, get your totem out and check to make sure that, you know, you were... Uh, if you get your you know, totem you out, you get chucked world. off the train, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I meant when you, like... Will it, when will it stop spinning? That's the question. Silly bastard. But listeners, listeners, if you are, if you If have you get your turbulence mount on a train, no, don't, don't. Not, not a good idea. Not if a you, good idea. No, exactly. If you, listeners, if you have dreamt of, a, of like talking to somebody about your dreams, then please contact me and tell me about it. At Paranormal Blip on Twitter is the easiest way. Paranormal Blip. And um, you can DM me, you know, if, if you want to kind of keep it private, you know. But I wondered, like, you know, how popular a subset of dreams that is, where you're kind of talking about dreams in your dream. Pretty good. I've, I've never had one of those. See, I don't, I don't think I've ever had one of those. A, a dream where I sort of think about my dreams in the dream or yeah. anything like that. I've had I've had dreams where I've like woken up and I've still been in the dream, but I've never sort of acknowledged. But it, but it was just like a it was just like matter of fact. It was just 
you know, just a thing. Because you know, in a dream, so you think in a dream, you think everything is a bit blasé. You know what I mean? Everything is just oh, that's normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? No. So I've I had the, I've woken up. You mean like unusual in a, in a things? Dream. I've woken up again. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just oh, that's just how it is. I didn't acknowledge it, but I've never. Yeah, the actual act of acknowledging a dream that you've had, but you're still in the dream. Mm. that's weird i've never i've never come but kind of like that. almost always also like remembering the series of dreams and kind of like mm. you know like explaining to somebody about your kind of dream um mm. uh, relationship with trains you know do you remember the bear dreams that i told you about yeah, yeah. i do, do you remember the bear dreams like because they were three dreams they they were you know they yeah episode 26 they were obviously connected but I didn't acknowledge the, the other ones weren't acknowledged in my head when I was having the dreams, if that made sense. Like I, you know, I didn't in the second one, I didn't think back to the first one and think, oh, that's the same bear. I've only had that realization when I'm awake. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? I've never I've you know that I think that's probably quite a rare thing. I would actually be really interested to hear if hear if anybody else had. An experience like that yeah mate well um i'm doing really, the call really out, cool. so, yeah get in contact with us maybe, maybe because you've had that dream so much maybe because you've had it so much it's just it's burned so deeply into your psyche yeah i think that it's that become a, a part, part of you now i do think that that is a big part how, of yeah but yeah. ballpark how many times have you had these sorts of train related dreams well it's at least once a month for the last at least um five years at least five years wow and so sometimes what, like 60 plus yeah good maths <laughs> wow yeah yeah, yeah sorry that was good maths it sounded very like as if i was implying that the maths weren't good <laughs> but the maths no. good there, Stephen. it's fine i i, I but that that's but you know putting a figure to it that's actually a lot of times have recurring dream i know 60 man, yeah. odd times yeah I mean, it's not exactly the same every time, but it is. But the, I mean, but it's, it's more same, or less same the same idea. It's the same idea. It's the more or less the, the same. Thing. The concept is the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. Like, and you the, might be and a the different feeling station. is the same. You exactly. Might, to a different, might be yeah. a different station. Might be kind of like. I mean, the thing is, though, I I think that it's one of the few. Uh, I don't know why. Like, I've never missed a flight. I've, I've missed a train, but not mm. much. I've never really like got into mm. trouble with I've never been in a car crash or whatever. Like there's no kind of trauma around transport for me, you know? Or right. like, you know, kind of horror around transport. But I do get a train. I mean, it, it might just be the stress. Yeah, well, there might be the stress having to get the train every day. Because obviously you miss yeah. if you miss the train or the train is delayed for some reason, because that happens quite a lot down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You no, know, that that's not good. It's not a good look, is it? Even if it's not your fault. The train yeah. being delayed. No, exactly. It still doesn't reflect well on you. Yeah, it's not a good look, is it? So it no. may it may just be that, you know, it may just be that. Listen, man, thank you so much. The problem I had was a lot of my dreams are so outlandish that well, it's really hard. Yeah, it's exactly, really hard exactly, to pick yeah. one. Like I, I can't tell you about one where I was you know, one I had recently where I was being attacked by a polar bear in the snow. And I was a knight on like a mythical quest and I had a talking fox as a companion i can't tell you that one i can't pass that one off as true can i that is very outlandish and that that have that was a real dream that i had really I, that, I, I can't i can't pass that as a as a as a real as a real thing yeah yeah that's kind of my problem 
yeah it's the the, the dreams have be to have to be interesting enough to be a good story but not outlandish and the yeah. reality has to be right on the edge of the possible. yes like something something bizarre yeah. has to happen exactly yeah exactly yeah, yeah 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 it's a hard it's a very hard game but it's a fun one it's a really good game and if you do work in television in the uk we're you know open to negotiation to yeah be, we are we're um to bring it to the big screen maybe some sort of anthology series or maybe a game show dream or reality cash or maybe prize. just a reenactment so thank you so much Stephen, for joining us tonight it was great to be here yeah as always i enjoyed it and so... this will not be the last time you listen to dream or reality i'm sure one of our guests i hope so i hope so your guest it's your show it's your show Oh, it is my show. That's right. I, I know I am a semi-recurring character here, but a semi-recurring character. It is your. You it is your show. You are a semi-recurring character. <laughs> Do you want to say goodnight to the audience, semi-recurring yes, character? Good, goodbye, podcasting world. Uh, good night. Good night, Stephen. Good night. So there's the show. Pretty good one, eh? Yeah. Thank you so much, James. Thank you so much, Stephen. And thank you so much to yourselves. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed it. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, pretty good. Anyway, listen, if you do enjoy it, then make sure that you share it with your friends and your neighbours and your aunties and your uncle. No, not your uncle. Your uncle couldn't care less, could he? No, definitely not any uncles, please. And uh, anyway, listen, episode 47 is just round the turnpike. But... For episode 46, it only leaves me to say, see you later.